Welcome to Podcast on Fire on all the wrong clues for the right solution. And both people. So here we are, ready to rip apart another actor akin to what we did with Alan Tam. Until we realized that we liked him. So, you know, hate. we start with hate and then we realize that we have to tie it up if we like him mathematically or not. Ma- mathematically, me and Phil G like Alan Tam. <laughs> That's like the most inhuman robot way yes. of viewing things. Like mathematically, he's all right. <laughs> we like Alan Tam. Team Tam, seven to six or whatever the tally was. Woohoo! Team Tam, Team Tam. Yes, I'm not backing away from that at all. I'm just, uh, I'm simply not rewatching uh, the movies I disliked. <laughs> uh, and to be fair, there's some I won't rewatch either, so we're, we're on the same, uh, we're on the same boat in that one. Oh, here we go, <laughs> both hard. Here we go. But uh, that idea developed naturally based on movie choices. It was, it was never my plan. We just sort of, you know, one time we did Armor of God one and two. Which is one Alan Tam movie and the other isn't. So, uh, but but it uh, we we grew fond of the idea and of it being a sub series. And uh, this sub series is based on examining another bland actor, but also the examination is about seeing if there actually resides merit amidst the bland choices. So uh, once done with Alan Tam, I set my sights on George Lamb. And uh, therefore, during an X amount of episodes, uh, uh, because I don't know how many movies we're going to cover exactly, we'll be determining if the choices and movies are lamb or lame. But that isn't my idea. That isn't my idea. I want to give a shout out to Jay for suggesting that rather than Team Lamb or not Team Lamb, we'll do uh, lamb or lame. And thank you, Jay, for steering me away from the George Lamb defaming sessions, which I was sort of wanted to call it, but I didn't have a sort of tally that we used for Team Time, not Team Time, and he came up with Lamb or Lame. But the George Lamb defaming session is uh, a, a mild AKA for for it all. So that is a long way of saying up first for review is where Choi Hark pits George Lamb and Teddy Robin against each other in Cinema City's wild comedy, All the Wrong Clues for the Right Solution. And Anne Hoy finishes off her examination of Vietnam in the drama Boat People, featuring uh, George Lamb witnessing the hidden truths about a liberated Vietnam and meets a young Andy Lau along the way. And uh, that's our two movies. And my name is uh, Kenneby, and with me, as you heard, is uh, Phil G, who's uh, kind enough to set aside some time to help me start off this examination of uh, George Lamb, whether he's lamb or lame. Thank you very much. And uh, it's always a pleasure. And uh, lamb or lame. And and a bit of a subtext in that i think that and while we're reviewing the films there there is a case for is it has uh, lamb got the chops or does he flops yes <laughs> acting chops or does he flops that, I, I like it i like it I, I wouldn't have been able to come up with it uh, if i had it, <laughs> it, it would have been a runner-up to lamb or lame like i wouldn't put george lamb defaming sessions before your choice so you know what's the official song for uh, we, we normally sing like uh, pretty george lamb walking down the street pretty george lamb i was that busy working on chops and flops i forgot all about the song you know the same with alan tam i think it evolved over time there will be something that crops up in these sessions because i think we're gonna do we're gonna do a few of these something will hit me there will be a song relevant or a song will crop up it might be an original by 
on myself. Who knows? But something will come along. So let's, you know, that'll be something to look forward to. Or not, as the case may be. Well, I look forward to it regardless, uh, because I, I like your out-of-the-blue creativity when it comes up. Well, exactly. But anyway, uh, as for contact info, we're going to try and keep this uh, keep this brief uh, rather than uh, rattling off at all. So uh, find all the relevant links in regards to the Podcast on Fire network on podcastonfire.com. And there we have handy buttons to our social media at the top of our website. And in the show post, I also include links to my review website where I tackle a variety of Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies of questionable nature normally. So uh, head on over to podcastonfire.com for all your Podcast on Fire network needs. But Phil is the special co-host, co-producer and uh, all-round lovely fellow. So he gets a full plug. So Phil G, your website, where is it and what is that about? Eastern Film Fan Studies. Easternfilmfans.co.uk. I'm on the web. And um, Facebook and Twitter as well, which gets uh, regularly updated. And then obviously I uh, I get back onto posting. Um, quite recently, did a couple of interviews. So uh, Matthias Hughes and uh, Alexander Nevsky uh, are both on their recent interviews. So check those out. So um, come along. Um, I like my action cinema. So. The majority is that, but you know, occasionally I'll throw something in and find something that's uh, drama-wise, perhaps even that um, I enjoy. So yeah, just Asian films uh, in its entirety. But um, we do uh, aim to please on the action front, and that that's why uh, I need to thank you for actually putting up with my comedy and drama choices for this first episode. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I know you're open-minded, but but uh, I, yeah. I I don't want to spring stuff on to you that you simply don't have the heart to do but you showed some enthusiasm for especially the drama of this episode so i thank you for that phil for indulging me and uh, yeah. maybe uh, maybe expanding uh, expanding your uh, sort of a movie library uh, as viewed uh, in your head and all of that like oh, i remember george lamy had a serious movie once out <laughs> exactly yeah it burns horizons you gotta you gotta do these things that's uh, I, I like some of the dramas so uh, yeah it should be good Cool, my friend. Well, we'll do a short musical break, and after that, uh, we'll be back to review the first movie out of uh, the Lamb or Lame sessions, if you will. And it's called All the Wrong Clues for the Right Solution, directed by Choi Hak, and uh, it's from 1981. So sit tight, and we'll be back. And welcome back in the first review of the Lamb or Lame sessions is All the Wrong Clues for the Right Solution from 1981 and plot from the Love HK film review of the film. Set in 1930, Godfather Capone, played by Carl Macca, is out for a huge score, but he but he despises a mild-mannered PI named Yoho or Champ in certain versions, and he's played by George Lamb. Yoho was responsible for Capone's prior incarceration, so he begins his revenge by sending zany killer Eric Tsang after him. With a Hitler moustache to boot. Uh, meanwhile, Yoho gets an assist from police chief Robin, played by Teddy Robin. High jinks ensue. 
which is the end of uh, Koso's plot from Love HK Film. I want your short opinion on all the wrong clues, first of all, and then I'll do mine, and then we'll discuss uh, this in-depth, nuanced, dramatic uh, uh, thingy from Cinema City or however we want to structure the discussion. Regardless, in short, what do you think of all the wrong clues for the right solution? Uh, okay, so this is this is what you throw at me, Ken. This this is my first George George Lamb experience, and you threw all the wrong clues for the right solution in brackets when it comes up. And you know what? It's wacky. I'm going to struggle with this one. I have to say, I'm not into. I have to say my comedy. There are moments. There are moments in this, but I'm going to struggle with it. It's a it's a, a really wacky goofball comedic yeah it's a bag it's a mixed bag i have to say i i, I tend to agree um I, I mean for me it's amazing uh, that after Troy Huck's initial output which was sort of stylish and varied whoever he made uh, butterfly murders his uh, wuxia pian slash murder mystery uh, we're going to eat you which was his cannibal comedy and dangerous encounter first kind which was just him angry 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 it's a very unpleasant film it's also known as don't play with fire so it's amazing after all of that that choi hak aimed at the pure contrast uh, the switch to goofy comedy which is not unexpected for a hong kong filmmaker not unexpected for hong kong cinema considering his initial output it is rather amazing that the fourth movie was this after he was so angry but it is rather hit or miss, and it's a movie I wanted to like more because it is so off the wall and cramps so many gags in there. And so I wish that a larger percent, a larger percentage of it, was more funny. Uh, so most of it is fun, is amusing. Some of it is funny. I think Teddy Robin is easily the best part of the movie. George Lamb isn't. The beginning of it, I quite enjoy because you're, you're getting into it. You're getting into the character and stuff. I didn't mind. George Lamb, but you're right, he's not the best thing in it at all. Teddy Robin obviously steals the show. I mean, he steals the show in most films, I see him in. He's just, he's just great. He, he just pulls it off. But yeah, I, I, I agree with you to that extent. There were gags there and some, were, some just fall flat and some are just downright bizarre, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, it means playful in terms of its opening, though, because uh, we got we got people running around in uh, silhouettes and uh, you got props showing up during the credits, like dentures? Like <laughs> cigarettes that are lit, and uh, I like that stylish. I, I like that. There's a bit towards the end. There's the same kind of thing. That silhouette and stuff. And it's good. It's good. It's good filmmaking. It's different. It's unusual. And that that kind of sucked me in from for the start of the movie. And it does grab your attention. So I enjoyed that very much. Because how do you use like um, how do you tease an audience? Like how do you come up with new ways to tease an audience? Well, put like random objects in the credits and then people will go aha later so Choi Hak is, is thinking and that that is uh, all all well and good and there's some clever visual gags here which uh, you know the first scene with Teddy Robin is him along with his um, two or three uh, friends in the uh, police uh, police bureau or whatever and you see you know Choi Hak using shadow play and we see someone walking in the shadows you know one person and then it turns <laughs> yeah. out it's the one. It, it's a one shadow thing that is consistent. Like three people uh, are yeah. in that shadow. Teddy Robbins is obviously very short. Then there's another guy, and then there's a big guy. But obviously, it shows up as one shadow. That kind of stuff, also very amusing, also very cle- uh, clever and creative. So, and and also we, Choi Hak hinges 
a lot on the introduction of uh, of Teddy as the little guy that's actually quite um, quite awesome and an adept at um, being uh, you know being a big boss, be, being a big police chief, and being a super duper guy when it comes to shooting guns and ju- juggling other guns in the air by shooting at them. You know, it, it's that kind of awesome yeah. character times two. Yeah, and, and I think that's because they introduce and he introduces that and the way it's introduced and the way Troy Hart does that. And then you get Teddy Robin, and then you get the kind of like shootout and stuff and swelling the guns. It kind of sucks you into the movie, and I quite well quite enjoyed that because of the stylish opening as well. So it held my attention for that first part because I was interested and intrigued, and it, and it does it holds you. So and like I say, it was good. And Teddy Robin obviously will hold your attention anyway. So like you say, the focus really is very much on him throughout the movie anyway. Teddy is one of those profiles I always admire because he is a musician, he is a director, he is an actor, is uh, and yeah. and he's do he's done well in all camps. I mean, I, I I'm not looking at the filmography now, but just uh, spontaneously, one of his finest movies as director is this big widescreen adventure starring Sam Hoy called The Legend of Wisely. It's another character with uh, uh, with the character of Wisely. A wonderful looking movie, like a great looking adventure, high budget adventure, which Teddy co-starred in with Sam Hoy, Joey Wong, and also directed. So uh, I always liked the, the creativity of uh, Teddy, uh, both as a musician and uh, a director, and uh, certainly a good, I was about to say good little actor, I don't mean it like that, but <laughs> he's, a, he's a good actor. <laughs> It couldn't help yourself, could you? Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm man enough to admit that I was going to say that. Yeah. So one, what don't I say? It. So, yes, so he pours on this uh, goofiness, which doesn't seem desperate. It seems like it's under control. And it, there seems to be a concept of tone here initially. And there are funny highlights. Like there's a power failure at the beginning of the movie. And then all characters start running around like chickens in silhouette. Which is this sort of go from zero to hundred type of moment, you know? Um, so he's aiming for an off the wall tone, and uh, Teddy Robin leads well. Uh, you know, he has the attitude. He's not wacky. He's not particularly clumsy. He's a tiny bit clumsy, but he's not a fool. And um, I, I, I love the stories of the various characters that were killed by or scared of the fact that um, Capone is coming out and there's some bizarre dialogue here as someone says I think that uh, one of the characters that um, put Capone away or tried to kill him uh, was so scared at one point that he started swallowing light bulbs instantly and someone tells that story and you, you just sort of that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard but I guess if you're gonna be scared of someone then be scared of someone like I can't take this. I'm gonna jump off a bridge. No, I'm gonna swallow light bulbs. I'm gonna eat light bulbs. No, 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 no. We never see it. It's just like I'm reading the subtitles. Is that right? I guess it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but then we get George, and um, he's a private eye, and um, I I'd never got a grasp of the character as such where Choi Hak was going with it. Ultimately, I don't think I really liked where he was going with it because I didn't know how they were gonna play him if he was gonna be suave and cool or if he was going to be as dorky and skinny as he looks i guess i prefer when george isn't trying to play suave and uh, the coolest guy in the room because it really doesn't suit him i, we, I have further notes on how he does with silly comedy but ultimately i think I, I like better that they shape him as this private eye that's fairly in control but still is struggling throughout the movie and is in situations that is largely too much for him but um 
you, your exposure to George throughout movies, you know, whether you consciously sort them out or not. I mean, I mean, did, did you ever have an impression of him as someone who has strengths in some areas and do not have strength in some areas? No, because this is a new experience for me. I, 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 to be honest, I wouldn't have been able to pull him out of a lineup if you put him. I'm in a lineup of two people. I wouldn't have been able to pull him out. I'm sure I've probably seen him in things, but he's never registered. So this was my opening foray into the world of uh, of George Lamb, to be honest. So it was, for me, he was just, okay, because I was focusing this on on him as a, as an actor, etc. And it was just like, well, you know, for this particular role, he was just kind of strolled through it. You could have had anybody off the... There was no dimension to him as a character. He was just, just a character. There was nothing really there. You could... Difficult to explain, but I, I don't I don't know what I was looking for from him, but as, as an introduction to to someone, it didn't, it, it didn't really spark any enthusiasm from me, I guess. Lam isn't able to squeeze out a natural comedic persona uh, out of his acting because he's always been a bland actor. I mean, I've made fun of him, but it's also, I've never really liked his presence in an overall sense. There are good movies with George Lamb, but there are other elements that that elevate those movies, man. As curious as I was about the character and as amusing as some stuff is, I mean, it's not particularly an interesting character to follow, and there are problems when all we do is follow his characters, uh, character rather than mix it up with Teddy and him. Uh, part fascinating is that the character seems indifferent or clueless about the danger around him, and that makes me curious to see where that goes. But Choi Hack never really gets us to any cool place with his character or any twist in his character that where we realize that aha that persona was just a like a coup or uh, not a coup but like a con and um george isn't really up for that task and we'll we'll get to his uh, comedy if you will but i i do enjoy that the movie overall is this audio visual parade i guess it's amusing enough i mean there's a scene where I think George Lamb's Yoho is uh, he's in a scene with the Cap- Capone's mistress, which has dramatic music, and then he goes out of the room, and then the music is off, into the room, music is on again. It's this very rapid uh, audiovisual parade, and uh, he even breaks the fourth wall at one point, which is not a funny gag, but it's the kind of thing that the movie does, that it's it's all free-for-all that uh, yeah. we're going to do that. We're going to, you know, turn on the soundtrack when someone's in and then turn it off rapidly when someone's out of a scene. And then we're done with that gag and moving on. So um, it, it's it, it, it's amusing enough. And I, I even um, thought that it, it might be, you know, the concept might be a gangster movie trope uh, type of you know, parody uh, uh, with uh, this undercrank tone to accompany it. And uh, there might be traces of, uh, you know, the scene where Eric Tsang smashes the office. I don't know if Choi Haik was looking back at the Bruce Lee scene in that uh, James Garner movie. Um, well, it's Marlowe, wasn't it? Yeah, because I noticed that. Cause I thought, oh, this this looks a little bit like Marlowe. And then when he kicked the light at the end, I was like, yeah, he's done it shot for shot, break the desk, kick the light, he's done a Marlowe. And then obviously flies off the building. I was like, he's just taken the scene directly off and done it. I was like, okay, this is this is interesting. Again, it held my attention because I was like, okay, I quite like this. But yeah, lifted it across, shifted it across, and boom, there you go. But, you know, George Lamb is trying to channel a James Garner. He, no, no, no. That's a that's a high high hill to to climb, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. 
so so yeah they they're, they're trying uh cinema city they're trying to make it all stick some 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 does stick some doesn't uh, and uh it's also important to know that this according to how it's listed on hong kong movie database this was the first first production of cinema city or the first production year anyway of cinema city where and you everybody you know the creators they need to chip in you know behind and in front of the camera hence you have Carl macca here hence you have eric Tsang here uh, Dean Shek, I don't think, is in it, at least not visibly, but he was one of the producers or writers. So they they all chip in, and, but they would be staples of the Cinema City comedic output on screen too, uh, and, and 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 behind the scenes. I mean, Eric Sang went on to direct Ace of Scott Places 1 and 2, which, you know, uh, broke with uh, Carl Mack and Sam Hoy at the forefront. So, and, and also the movie doesn't seem like a 100% local, impenetrable comedy. It seems like it deals in gangster tropes that are global, you know your mileage may vary in terms of that, but for for half a movie, they, I I think this largely is decent enough as as this um, amusing time to watch as they play. You know they even play in the cinematography with uh, dramatic lightning uh, lighting to to you know they have scenes partly drenched in green. You have Carl Macca lit from underneath while he's holding his speech in the church, and you got an oversized uh, lighter gag, which is. Yeah, it's an oversized lighter gag. I guess I guess that's an oversized lighter. And now it's over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, okay, great. It's an oversized lighter. It's there. Visually, it's quite a good... But visually, it's quite good. I quite enjoyed it. I quite enjoyed that silhouette. I quite enjoyed the music. I liked all that. It was just that George Lamb couldn't compete with, you know, Teddy Robin and the rest of the cast. He just, like, was kind of fleeted... And he was there. You could have just put a cardboard cutout and had the same effect, to be honest, and done all the gags around him. There was nothing from him to go, ha ah. Not once did I go, ha ha. That's funny, George. There wasn't anything there. Maybe that's just, you know, that's he wasn't given anything. But I didn't see anything from him. No, I mean, for me, it extends to what the problem can be with George, that he is, at, um, he is not skilled at a variety of different things uh, he isn't a very well uh you know well versed comedian and uh decent enough as a you know romantic comedy actor i suppose but uh he's um he's he's never been this standout uh performer and uh he needs material around him and a thrust around him for his part to work and partly this does work when choi hak mixes him and Teddy Robin a little bit more than he does in the middle section. It's almost all George and yeah. whatever uh, co-player um, that's um, available to him at that point. So, so I mean, he, even the oversized lighter gag, it works a little bit in tandem with Teddy Robin's character because he, because he is supposed to be supposed to be suave and awesome and come out on top. So, of course, he's got an oversized lighter and Choi Hak makes this moment very fast too, like boom, 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 rather than like, hey... I got an oversized lighter in my drawer. Would you like that? No, <laughs> that's not the pace of the gag. The ca- gag is like shoom, shoom, oversized lighter. That's okay when it's when it when it involves Teddy Robin though, uh, which it uh, certainly does. But yeah, I'll give you a good example where, uh, for me anyway, uh, good. No. I say good. I think it's an example where you realize that George is not up to this task yet. Because in the middle section, we got a lot of him. And uh, he's being goofy and a bit silly and a bit clumsy. And at one point, he uh, sits down in a couch and manages to sit down so violently that the couch tips over. And uh, 
that's kind of simplicity works when a genius sells it. George isn't a genius. Put Stephen Chow in such a gag where he sits down on the couch and goes, wah, would have worked so much better. I mean, it's a di- you, the gag isn't automatic gold just because you uh, put uh, uh, different performers in there. And that was a sort of warning flag for me that if they can't make this work and they hinge it on George, we're going to be in trouble. <laughs> and we are. I know I always think you need you need a face for comedy. You need a face for comedy. And what I say is that you need something about you that you're a comedic actor or you can pull that off. I don't see that George has got a face for comedy as such or he can't create one. Do you know what I mean? There isn't one there. So or the gags bounce off him rather than he absorbs that and he presents the gag. So they're around him. And visually, like I say, that that's good, but he doesn't he doesn't have that face of uh, face of comedy, unfortunately. Uh, let's go back a little bit to Toy Hack. Uh, there, there was a story circulating uh, once upon a time that he's now explained the context of because Choi Hack isn't always Mr. Nice Guy on sets. Uh, he admits that he goes insane uh, shooting some movies uh, just to get it done. <laughs> you know, uh, the Blade is one such case where he said, I, I, I totally went insane making that movie. And s- certain people said that after they wrapped, he just stormed off. <laughs> just because we're done now, fuck you all. Uh, but he, he, he's a good, he seems to have a good uh, sense of humor about it despite. But the story was at one point, you know, on the internet or in the industry that for one particular movie, Choi Hark locked the doors of the studio for three days and three nights. And made everybody stay and work. And he confirmed that this was true and that it was in the case of this movie because they had a set with ice and they had a difficult scene to shoot uh. involving ice and uh, because George Lamb and the mistress of Capone, I guess, or whoever she was, they're, they're tied up, they're sitting on the ice, but there's also a component of a scene where these huge ice blocks are flying back and forth. So it's a, it's a complex Flex scene to shoot and according to Choi Hak who told this story on the Sioux Warriors from the Magic Mountain commentary that they, they, this was simply to get this scene done otherwise the you know the ice would melt so he wasn't uh, Mr. Tyranny necessarily but uh, it was uh, out of necessity in in Hong Kong cinema you could do this I, I don't think you can do this in in Hollywood because you, you can't just keep people there for three days and three nights <laughs> No, no, true. Um, but a lot, of, lot of things have changed, I suppose, as well with the with everything that goes on. So um, kicking people in the head out, out now as well. So, but uh, yeah, out of necessity, you can understand why he did it. I suppose uh, those rumors spread and become uh, a thing. But um, yeah, like I say, there are scenes in this movie, and same with the the icebox there. They're just you know, there are different, unusual, hold your attention scenes. But as a as an entirety, it just doesn't. It doesn't work. Any particular highlights, though? I mean, it's a busy sequence, but uh, it's certainly one of the more noticeable sequences. Where I didn't laugh out loud, but I thought it was funny. It's the big saloon brawl set at New Year's Eve, where which just goes into hyper overdrive. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously, I I I, I pepped up a little bit when I saw Bolo Young there. I was like, oh, Bolo's here! Yay, fight! But um, no, it's it's more of a slapstick Keystone Cops kind of. Uh, uh, adventure with the piano spinning around and then running around. But I quite enjoyed the scene, you know. There was a little scene before that as well with Teddy Robin and George Lamb. I quite enjoyed that quiet moment at the bar kind of thing and stuff with those two and the camera on those two, and I quite enjoyed that. And then it kicked off into this kind of Keystone Cops kind of brawl 
But that was kind of enjoyable, and I, I enjoyed the setup of it and the music playing and, and the way that all just uh, came together. Again, an enjoyable scene. Yeah, it's uh, we see uh, John Shum at the piano, and the, the, yes. the scenario involves him changing up the tune like five or six times, and people are f- you know fl- flying all all across the room, and it's it's all fun in a saloon brawl kind of uh, way, but no, nothing true genius, and and there's even you know people hiding from each other type of sequences here or a sequence here which is a type of comedy that Choi Hak would do way better in a movie like Shanghai Blues which is still my favorite Choi Hak movie there's a similar scene in Peking Opera Blues as well which shows he has this um, down but he was working with performers that are a little bit uh, more not game but just simply more skilled to execute that in Shanghai Blues you have Salier doing that and she is hiding from Kenny B not me and uh, Sylvia Chang is there, so it's a classic sort of love triangle thing, and uh, it, it works so much better, the energy is there. Chung Ho can't, like, it's like, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but sometimes it is like uh, squeezing blood out of a stone in terms of George Lamb. You you get what you get. Yeah, you get what you get. I mean, it's a fun scene. Let's get it right. Because you, you're absolutely right, the middle just sags that, that much. The, the first part kind of grab me and then you lose your attention in the middle that was just a bit of a a, a pick me up and I was like okay this is quite good it's you know happy new year across and he's playing you know happy birthday on the piano okay whatever but you know it was at least he pepped your interest up to a certain extent it's no it's you know like i say it's not going to be his best work but in the um in the catalog of the movie at least it was a standout scene and if we're talking about it then you know don't get me wrong you don't you wouldn't run out and get the film just to watch that scene. But hey, at least it pepped your interest up for five minutes. I think that there's better gags towards the end. Though. That's when I perked up a little bit. Like, okay, you're concluding quite well. It's been a sort of twisty-turny type of narrative. And uh, mm. I, I didn't really care if, if, if it was muddled or not. Because it is a comedy. You're just going to throw yeah. twists at us. But it also is aware of how twisty-turny movies can be. And it's actually making fun of that in uh, quite a clever way because towards the end, there's uh, some double-crossing involving uh, uh, standoffs with uh, with guns. And you know these scenes in movies where, where people come out of the shadow, point a gun at the hero or heroine and go, ha, 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 and then he's going to tell his or her story of why I've double-crossed you. Here, Choi Hak makes everybody double cross everybody and no one has the time to make their damn speech because just as soon as they're gonna say it another one pulls a gun another one pulls a gun and then 30 people are pointing guns at each other (laughs) so everybody's double crossing everybody and that picked me up not because of george lamb not necessarily because of teddy robin but the comedic energy that choi hark was bringing all of a sudden, there's a thousand people just <laughs> have double crossed each other. Everybody in the gang are, are against each other, and, and you, you're just waiting for that match to light where everybody shoots each other. It's a domino effect, literally. They do a domino gag, literally, where people fall over, and then for some reason they they uh, stand back up again, like domino uh, pieces would do if they went in reverse. I think anyway. There, there was a lot here, but uh, the the pace and likability towards the back end. Picked up a little bit uh, due to Choi Hak's uh, grasp of uh, this parody scenario of gangster tropes and twisty turny endings. So, uh, for me, probably the standout sequence, to be honest, towards the end. 
Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. It's it's one of that, and it's a comedy as well. So when we say shooter, it's it's still probably the final shooter is where everybody is arguably the worst shot in the world because <laughs> nobody gets shot. Let's face it. But there's a lot of bullets flying around. That's a comedy effect. It's one of those and stuff. But yeah, the scene. You're probably right. It probably is the standout scene in the movie. I enjoyed the silhouette thing at the beginning, and there's 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 some play on that. But from a comedic point of view as well, that worked quite well. Cinema City would uh, pick up their uh, comedy output and increase the likability of it, certainly when they crafted Aces Go Places. And uh, as the decade went on, we obviously got Better Tomorrow and uh, City on Fire and Prison on Fire. Cinema City was a big, big, big player, you know. And we got mismatched couples from Cinema City too. Aha! What's that? Oh my god. That brings back some memories. Yep, that was then, my friend. Yeah. Um, so that's the end of my notes. Uh, tolerable, and but certainly lame. Yeah, I, yeah I, I agree it was lame. It wasn't the, the best introduction. There was there still hope. There's still hope out there. But yeah, definitely lame for um, Mr. Lamb on this one. Um, but um, as a movie, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm warming to it. I talk about it for some bizarre reason. Because Stand by your opinion. Out, Stand yeah. by your opinion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's still lame. So lame it is. Uh, Teddy Robin can do no wrong. We, do, we know that, though. We know that. And uh, as for availability of all the wrong clues for the right solution, uh, the Fortune Star remastered print uh, was handled by Joy Sales on DVD, and um, this can still be found for a reasonable price. Uh, I, I couldn't see any Blu-ray of it, so they, they might as uh, and it probably wouldn't have been high uh, high definition anyway. So a DVD is fine; it looks good. Subtitles are, are perfectly fine. It has remix and mono options included, and the latter, meaning the mono, which is the original, sounds uh, a bit rough, but seemingly original and without any tampering. You know, it, it's a loud comedy, and there would have been every opportunity in the world to craft new, out of touch uh, sounds for 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 the comedy at hand. But uh, the mono track seemed to be free of that, so it's a it's a good choice if you're interested in the movie, and it's available at a reasonable price as well there was a follow-up that i haven't seen i i, I had not seen this before either all the wrong spice which uh, re-teamed uh, these two george lamb and teddy robin but if i remember correctly that was directed by teddy robin uh, and uh, not um, choi hack so uh, it was still um, okay. under the um, C- uh, cinema city banner but um it was made uh, two years later and uh, made a healthy 13 million presumably this made uh, a decent amount of money as well i uh, simply don't have those numbers though uh, so yes my friend all the wrong clues for the right solution put to bed we'll uh, take a, a little promo break uh, from one of our friends in the podcasting community and after that we'll be reviewing uh, Maybe the only drama of the series, but I thought, like, why not um, switch it up and uh, do zany comedy, see if it's lamb or lame, and then serious sobering drama to see if that is lamb or lame. <laughs> yeah, what a double bill that is, Ken. <laughs> what a double bill. Oh, talk about highs and lows. It's uh, it's the movie I'd seen, though, so I knew what to expect from both people, uh, but um, I'd forgotten a lot about it. Uh, certainly, it's more harsher, uh, harsher areas. But I knew, I knew it was pure drama, not this uh, contrasting sort of drama comedy set in real life uh, political Vietnam. Let's slip on a banana peel. It wasn't that, thankfully. 
but uh, it's from Anne Hoy and uh, it's from 1982. It's called Both People, and after a promo break, we'll review that and, and give you some minor background on it uh, too, because it is a mighty big award-winning movie, and it con and it ran into some controversy as made as well. So sit tight, and we'll be back. Do you ever watch Kung Fu? I love Kung Fu. If you love Kung Fu, join me on the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast, a weekly show where we discuss, debate, and dissect Kung Fu and martial arts movies past, present, and future. Available now on iTunes and Google Play Music. You can find me on social media on Twitter and Instagram at Kung Fu Drive-In, the Facebook page Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast, or our blog, KungFuDriveIn.com. Just remember, your Kung Fu may be good, but mine is better. I know Kung Fu. And welcome back, and the second movie of the Lamo Lame Sessions, number one, is Boat People from 1982. This is a drama, people. Uh, which I guess I chose just because uh, why not have a drama in there too, rather than... Uh, similarly sort of genre type of vehicles featuring uh, George Lamb. Uh, so th- th- this is the one that sticks out a little bit, if you will. So we're going to judge if it's Lamb or Lame in terms of a dramatic performance here. But anyway, plot from my review of the film. On an assignment in South Vietnam, uh, three years after Da Nang was liberated, the Japanese photographer Shiomi Akutagawa, played by George Lamb, has a positive outlook on the land presented before him as opposed to the past years spent there. However, walking around on his own without the aid of the Cultural Bureau, Agutakawa discovers the other people on the ground, most notably Kam Nong, played by Season Ma, that all is not well with the country. So that's the plot for now, and so, some minor background notes from uh, the Wikipedia entry that might be fun to take into consideration of this uh, dramatic uh, film. So they, they're a little bit random in terms of the timeline, I, I jump back and forth. But anyway, in 2005, the 24th Hong Kong Film Awards ranked both people as the 8th best Chinese language film of the last 100 years. So not bad. It was a list of 103 for some reason, not 100, but 103 so uh, I don't know, but uh, it, yeah, I remember it might have been the year where they deemed the black and white mainland movie "Springtime in a Small Town" the best Chinese language movie of all time. It's like a 1948 movie, possibly. Uh, it was remade um, uh, later in the mainland too, and uh, it's considered both people that is the last of Anne Hoy's Vietnam trilogy, which sort of started on TV first. She did a short movie within the RTHK TV series Below the Lion Rock called From Vietnam. This was then followed by the movie, The Story of Vu Viet, starring a young giant fat, and then this. And it has a central theme of Vietnamese immigrants uh, present, even though this largely takes place before any of these people reach Hong Kong. In the story of Vu Viet, that it sort of starts that way, that giant fat as an, as an immigrant reaches Hong Kong. You can sort of treat it as a prequel if you like, but they don't contain the same characters. It's just uh, sort of what would, what will happen once they reach Hong Kong, and that you can uh, see in the story of Vuviet. And um, so, and uh, both people concluded it all that that train of thought and uh, the creativity that uh, was involved in crafting this Vietnam trilogy that concluded in both people. 
Uh, the film was the first Hong Kong movie to be filmed in communist China at the time. Uh, Chai, in fact, was actually offered the role that Andy Lau eventually got, but Chiao declined for fear of being blacklisted. And uh, this was uh, uh, not blacklisted in Hong Kong, but rather blacklisted in Taiwan, because Hong Kong actors working in the mainland were blacklisted in Taiwan, you know, because of uh, political reasons and so forth. Uh, this was both people that is a hit during its local run in Hong Kong. It earned over 15 million Hong Kong dollars, and presumably, uh, according to notes, uh, because viewers could feel there was an analogy there within about Hong Kong being returned to China, which was, um, I think, being negotiated, it said, during this time, how the 1997 handover would be, you know, structured or what have you. So it wasn't uh, this talk that was off uh, off the radar of people, uh, just because we were still 15 years out or whatever. It went on to win five Hong Kong Film Awards for Best Film, and it got att- including for Best Film, and got attention abroad, uh, cementing An Hoi as a filmmaker of note uh, during uh, this uh, socially conscious, dark, gritty new wave of films of the early 80s that included some works of Choi Hak as well. Uh, not all Western critics appreciated its political content, citing that Hoi was making a one-sided film that was essentially propaganda, and uh, they re- that was in reference to the depiction of the Vietnamese government. So that's an opinion. It's something An Hoi did not agree with. Agree with, but I think people got got a little bit uh, sort of irked, if you will, because this was made with the blessing of the People's Republic of China, who has who had recently fought a war with Vietnam. So that didn't help matters in terms of uh, certain critics' opinions of it. Uh, An Hoi insisted. The movie came from her and her research, and uh, she was not uh, forced to put any content in the film. She, she interviewed a lot of uh, refugees and boat people, literally, that were in Hong Kong. So she said that she based the movie, um, the movie sort of, sort of on that. There were protests at the Cannes Film Festival about its supposed political content and uh, and intent, and that resulted in the film being dropped from competition as the French government did not want to risk its relations with Vietnam at that time going sour. It screened but out of competition that year. And also tracking back to Taiwan, the film itself was expectedly banned because it was filmed on the island of Hainan in China, so the movie did not play in Taiwan. But uh, I think An Hoi was quite content because of box office returns and such a wildly nominated and uh, awarded movie. I mean, she got Best Director, the screenplay got, uh, Season Ma, who plays the 14-year-old uh, character, got a Best New Performer award, Andy Lau was nominated for Best New Performer, and George Lam was uh, nominated for Best Actor. So, it, like, across the board, it was nominated for big awards and won uh, a certain amount of them. So, uh, it uh, it has um, it has a rumor, if you will, that way. But anyway, enough of my uh, enough of my babbling for now. In in short, Phil, uh, both people, Yeonae Lamolay. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. We just get right down to it. Exactly. Well, well, you can keep Lamolay out of it if you like. But so, uh, what's your short opinion <laughs> of both people? Yeah. No. Uh... I'm with uh, I'm with Lamb on this one. I'll uh, I will give him uh, I'll give him his uh, lamb chops on this one as well. Um, I am um, quite. Uh, you you earned yourself a treat. Have some lamb chops. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't. I you know with all that and the political and the drama around it all, I just want to lighten it just for a moment and stuff. It isn't it isn't a particularly light-hearted movie. It's a drama after all, um, and I. I thoroughly enjoyed this. I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed the entire cast. 
um, in this. I, I like the premise of it. I like the story. Tough, uh, tough watch at any point for you? Yeah, there's there's some bits of tough watch. And with all these movies that I watch, I, I tend not to think a lot, which a lot of people say, well, that's not unusual for you, Phil. So I, I let them wash over me and I just enjoy them. So, yeah, the moments that are shocking, I, I, I tend not to think too much ahead. So they are quite shocking and they are quite disturbing. And uh, visually, it's quite it, it, it grabs you as a movie. Um, there's some there's some scenes there that are yeah absolutely quite disturbing and stuff. But for a uh, film, I mean, it's uh, it's a beautifully crafted film. It, it is. I mean, I have some notes on the fact that this is for for me. I, I'm quite familiar with the sort of Vuliette, uh, uh, for instance, and I know this represents a technical step up, despite looking like a rough movie. But I, I have some notes on that. I agree. It's the strongest out of Anne Hoy's story excursions into Vietnam. I think. Um, I mean, from Vietnam, I don't remember the TV short as such, but uh, I can sense a progression uh, certainly. So, if I were to rank them, it's the, the it's uh, this Vuliet and then from Vietnam. If you want to know my opinions on the of the Vietnam uh, trilogy, and again, if you're in the mood and you have Story of Vuliet uh, available to you, this could act as a prequel to to events uh, in Story of Vuliet uh, on a conceptual basis because it deals with people um, fleeing Vietnam and then ending up in Hong Kong and. Uh, this movie is structured that way that that's going to happen at some point uh, that uh, people are going to flee but who we're not going to reveal that and and lamb gets a thorough pause absolutely thorough pause i think it's um, a very well thought out performance and well thought out includes him and includes Anne hoy in terms of how she uses um, george in this one there's a documentary feeling almost immediately present here and uh, Anne hoy wasn't um, unfamiliar with uh, such uh, territories and uh, I I really like the feeling that she establishes with uh, George Lamb running around taking photographs amidst the tank parade it's a it's a three years earlier type of thing when the city uh, Danang or Saigon possibly has been uh, liberated so to say and there's a parade and George is just running around and she's uh, capturing all of that so but but that that brings up the point that that I sometimes fear as a as a viewer like do you need to read up on a movie to understand it because it's so steeped in politics, uh, because we're we're outsiders we didn't experience this personally, and I, I, ultimately no you don't the story is understandable and then some but I just wanted to ask because I'm curious are you that way sometimes that if a movie is if a movie is going into historical territory in politics that you might not get the full context necessarily or or, or it's usually safe. Yeah, but not for me personally, because I like to watch a movie and see if it portrays that within the movie. Are you telling me a political story within that movie and therefore you're going to tell me that? Are you just telling me a story? Um, Does it promote me to then look at a uh, in the context of that movie outside of that from, you know, politically what was going on, etc.? And in this case, yes, it would do. It promotes me to go and then look after I've seen the movie Mm -hmm. and understand the things a bit more, even though it's just... I select on these boat people for this particular picture, but obviously the, there's a wider, a bigger picture here, should we say, around it all. So yeah, that that promotes me to then, after I've seen it, to then look at this, but not before. I like to digest that movie and see and understand what that person is trying to tell me within that. I guess. Well, well, that's an excellent point because uh, Anne Hoy does fill us in quite expertly because she never resorts to exposition dumps there's never any text on screen saying where we are at this point in time you no know, the story is just understandable uh, yeah. and and then so i mean the, the beats are clear and coherent and it, while it is a talky 
story i mean it it really captures you um and george definitely shows early signs of being well immersed in the material not just running around but in the sequence that uh, like he's running around and he can use a camera look at him lamb not lame, lamb. <laughs> no but rather you know the scene that cuts to three years later when he's being uh, when they performed a little demonstration of that everything is fine in the new economic zones look at these kids they're healthy they're singing at a proper school and all of that and he seems um, he seems moved after seeing what he's seen he has a little bit of dialogue as they sit down for a drink after the kids have uh, sung for him and all of that so he's seen the country in one state and now it confirms to him, at least as sort of uh, concocted by the Cultural Bureau, that the land is freed from conflict. And he has a little bit of a dialogue that looks so sincere and so natural, uh, which is such an early good sign of Lamb can be used well. You know, he, it, his character is, is, um, fe- feels real. You know what I mean? It's not like George Lamb trying to be someone. No. And just really well here with introducing the character and introducing Lamb because he's the protagonist in it all. And you're very much into that character straight off the bat because it introduces him so well. And like you say, at that moment, that just captures you right there. And it's right at the beginning of the movie. You understand what he is, what he's doing. He's there and stuff. You don't know what's going to happen, but you can feel there's something else underpinning this but he portrays it really well and that's all captured just within the opening kind of scenes and that first few minutes and just after as you say when he just sits down in that opening dialogue and it just you're there you're captured then that's it this journey you're going on there's no there's no anything else around you're just watching this film you want to see what happens and and where this character is going so yeah absolutely nails it and and the tone feels realistic uh, to Mm. me especially when it breaks from this picture perfect version or picture perfect version of uh, a lot of peace there so i'm blowing out the microphone probably picture perfect version of uh, vietnam as the cultural bureau wants to show this guy because mm-hmm. you they trust his eye his eye has been beneficial for them through his uh, through his visual reporting and uh, and he's a japanese too so uh, he seems uh, neutral in this game so they allow him to do their thing but it is when you start peeling off layers that something is wrong and sometimes those layers don't need to be peeled very uh, you know there, there's only one layer or it just uh, the world sort of crumbles sometimes in front of him because he encounters this scene where there's uh, a police chase across a rooftop that's on fire there's people falling from the roof and being a news photographer he wants to take pictures and then the authorities come down on him that way that the this is not the eye to the world that they want spread. So you realize that there's a feeling in the air that there's something more and you don't need to look very hard for it. You you wonder you wonder within the movie that they're doing a major mistake by saying that he can walk freely anywhere he likes because it doesn't seem hard to find people like Season Ma's character and her family and what sort of threat they're living under. It doesn't seem hard to find that. So they must trust him mightily and that is not a flaw i i just uh that that made me curious that he must have done good as a news reporter for the country in terms of re- reporting on the liberation and all of that yeah exactly yeah yeah and it sets it it sets the scene quite well that there's an undertone to this after he gets a a bit of a shooing as we like to call it in england a bit of a shooing overtaking photographs and then all of a sudden yeah okay there you're intrigued there's something else something else is underlining under this 
But like you say, he's kind of given the freedom to go out there and, and photograph, you know, things that maybe he shouldn't be doing, but he's got that trust given to him. Yeah, because he's allowed to walk alone too. It's not like uh, he needs to have a supervisor with him at all times. And I, I have to tell you, Phil, one thing that strikes me about this movie is how i mean it is a movie shot on interior and exterior sets maybe some in the studio but there is a sense of this movie through the especially the real locations uh, that just give it gives us a sense of being there and anhoy really crafts atmosphere it feels very real without you know it being sweeping and stylish look at us how real it is we're on such great scope and such great planes no it's not about that but it just feels truly um, immersive that way that they're not walking around on movie sets or anything yeah i know what you mean you you, you kind of it's captured it's all very much you're in that kind of world like say it isn't going to sweep in cinematography and you know all this and stuff it's like very much static and you're kind of in that world but it's very cleverly done the way and the art direction and that way that you feel that you're, you're actually there within it. Yeah, it's very, it's very clever. And the art direction was by um, award-winning art director and director Tony Au, who uh, directed, um, among other things, Dream Lovers with Chayun Fett and Bridget Lin, which is a very artistic-looking movie, but also a good movie. Like He had eye, eye as a filmmaker and eye as an art director, Tony Au. You know, uh, the, the under sort of underpinning uh, of it all, that the fact that... Um, there is misery on display here without looking too hard for it. Uh, you, you're going to find misery. That is conveyed very well and very effective. Uh, it's very affecting and very effective because clearly it, 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 it unravels really quick that these new economic zones are not this picture-perfect thing. It's essentially it's re-education camps. And, and at this point, as portrayed in a movie anyway, but again, Anne Hoy got her research from people so I'm, I'm i'm guessing this has you know uh, it, it is truth to a degree i think it's quite confirmed mm-hmm. that uh, re-education camps existed and uh, that makes the, it very it's very uncomfortable to watch because what they were apparently doing is both removing people you know regular people from their homes that they sensed weren't supportive of the new powers that be but also um old uh, you know old officials or what have you that uh, might be doubtful in terms of the new regime, and they were sent to be indoctr- uh, like like indoctrinated, and all of that. And that 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 is made uncomfortable without Anne Hoy being in our face about it. That there's families being removed and put on trucks and then tr- trucked away to the new economic zones. And you realize that there, there is this threat that people live under if they don't conform. You know, the, the darker side, the problematic side of of it all. And that also tracks back to George Lamb's character, which which is very interesting because of this very fact. He's a photographer, so he can hide behind that, but he can't hide forever behind that because he's he's exposed to so much like genuine people uh, interaction, but also genuinely harrowing things that he might be able to shut out if he just views them through his viewfinder. But mm-hmm. they, I I I think and Hoy makes the case that. This is the first time he's experienced um, the the suffering full on. It's not an, it's not it's less of an assignment and more of uh, something you can't look away from. So he can't use the lens to distance himself uh, from that. And uh, that that's uh, those story beats are very clear, strong, 
it seems plain as shot. I think you alluded to this, that it doesn't seem like it's done with a lot of, like, uh, style and in your face. Like, boom, 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 we're doing drama now. Boom, exposition dumps now. No, it's just very confidently conveyed and clear. Like, it, it, the dialogue that is plentiful, it doesn't become muddled or anything. The beats are made very clear and she moves the story ahead very efficiently, which is... I, like I gotta say, the story of Vuvietz, not a bad film, but it's a l- more rough and loose as made. It's a filmmaker in, in uh, training a little bit. Both People is a significant step up as a production, technically, despite looking very gritty and real. But also her confidence is just shot up like a million percent based on uh, based on evidence in the other movies. Uh, so I'm, I'm, that's why I was very happy to hear you say that this was so engaging, you know. We, we won't spoil all the uh, harrowing sights, obviously, but um, I don't know if you have any notes or want to talk about the issue of uh, what they say. Uh, they are sometimes delighted, Season Ma and her brother, uh, that there's gunshots on the street and they run and they run away. So uh, do you remember the, the, the chicken farm uh, scenario, if you will, uh, which is early on, so it's not a spoiler, but... Uh, is that anything you want to say anything about? Yeah, no, yeah, no, absolutely. Because you, you hear about this chicken farm, the shots go off, and you're like, <clears throat> they're running out all of a sudden. You think, oh, what's going on? Because <clears throat> you're swept up by it all, and then they they come into this um, kind of courtyard bit, and the the kids are over dead bodies, just picking at them, trying to find you know gold teeth or anything on them, or clothes or the boots on the you know these dead people and stuff, and they're you know. That that's what they do. This is they they they've heard the sounds of execution squads essentially. Yeah, they, yeah, the execution squads, and you know it's it's kind of harrowing because these are the kids over there, and they they take it in in their stride. Look, this is their day to day life, and George Lamb is is just shocked by it all. You know, he's standing there like, oh my god, where's them? They they like this is their day to day routine. They can't wait. This is this is great. We could we could get something from this, and it's um, yeah, it's explosive and it's in your face, and it's like. Wow. This in is, a way, this... it is. In a way, it isn't, which is the clever thing about the movie that yeah. uh, Anne Hoy doesn't make this into a ho- horror moment where we need to have music stings or anything like dead bodies. It's just so matter of fact as made. Exactly. But it doesn't matter become anonymous and therefore ineffective. And rather. that's what makes it. That's what makes it horrific. Yeah, absolutely. Because it is a matter of fact. To them, it's a matter of fact. It's day to day thing. And to to Lamb, it's 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 a shocking to the viewer. It, it's shocking, but. It is. It is introduced as a just a, as as you say as a matter of fact, which makes it even more poignant. And 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 they're all like the 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 extras that are lying there, obviously with fake blood all all over, and it it just looks uh, sufficiently real, you know, because uh, yeah. it's um they, they don't zoom in for like makeup effects of gunshots or anything or headshots, but it's just people just uh, covered in blood, which in, in this rough environment too, it's not a manufactured in my environment, so. That that makes it all. You you sort of wince at that without it being in your face gore or anything. She she does, but she earns have stylish moments, of course. But they are nonetheless very very effective. Again, I won't spoil the context of it, but there, there's a later scene where a grenade blows up in um, in someone's face and they well mm-hmm. they blow up, and um, it's a uh, it's not the um, the mime sweeping scenes, but uh, earlier in the movie where where kids are looking for stuff buried in the ground and someone finds a grenade and, and it goes boom and there are a couple of beats here where i think anyway i mean it was such a fast sequence so you don't remember all elements but i think 
and Hoy squeezed in these two reaction shots and I think muted much of the sounds on the soundtrack mm. and then have the dummy blow up, which is just... Um, you you have time to think of the moment, but it happens quick too, which makes it all... When you're not ready for it, when you, you, you're, you can be a seasoned film viewer and not be ready sometimes for content, brutal content. And I think they, 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 this movie has plentiful of those moments where you just go, oh my. Throughout the movie from start to end, we'll say no more, it does have that effect that, wow, you just, this is, you know, this is people, this is Andy Lau's character, he's trying to get off, he's trying to get on this boat and stuff. This is the premise and they're, they're trying to get out of this environment and stuff and do whatever they can and the kids on the streets, they, they're going out and trying to find things around and all these horrific things are happening and there it's just the way as you say she shows that in those beats and stuff it's just like a smack in the face to you as a viewer because you don't expect it it just kind of happens there's no lead to it it's just kind of there and onto the next scene without it being glorified or, or anything else but as a viewer it's like whoa and and yet she isn't i mean i, I like dangerous encounter first kind it's a very angry film it's very in your face but and, and Hoy is, I mean, you. I, I don't think you've seen Dangerous Encounter First Kind, uh, no. but uh, um, Anne Hoy is a little bit more relaxed and held back, despite this being quite brutal. It's just, uh, she's, she's a little bit more tender and not angry as such. She's a little bit more, she's just telling this stuff. Yeah. Uh, political agenda or not. Uh, for, for me, it never, speaking of that, I mean, I don't know of the Vietnamese government and their actions through and through and i'm sure there's more nuance to be found but i'm still of the opinion and you know controversial or not that if you talk to people which she did she interviewed i believe refugees for for a documentary project that i don't know if that if it happened or not which led to this movie and even even george lamb's character is based on a japanese photographer that she in some shape or form knew or forgot to know or interview but but i i i sometimes think that people's perspective especially people that are fleeing they, they have no agenda to sort of like they they don't need to concoct a story of what happens i think she got enough reality from them as basis for this movie because i don't think everything was hunky-dory at this time and uh, and i think it's even on the record that re-education camps did exist and they did include not just education, but re-education in, in the worst of ways, featuring torture and, and all of that. So I think uh, that there is, you know, people on the other side of the aisle, of course, would think that this is politically motivated if they don't agree with the movie, and that always happens, yeah. of course. But I think that there is, I, I, I don't think this is pure fiction, is, is what I'm saying. I think uh, Anne Hoy is um, portraying a, even if it is a snapshot of what went on, and maybe if it lacks nuance in some areas, I think it's not far-fetched that this could happen uh, or, or, or did happen in um no absolutely and it's told so well that she doesn't as you say it's not aggressive style it doesn't you know and those moments that those explosive moments yeah. um aren't aggressive um and she tells that story and it isn't a slap around your face telling you the story it's a there's a story to be told and here it is and this is this is the journey, and take out of that what you will, and you can understand why potentially there was an uproar around it because of the content within it. But to her, she told a story, and you know, beautifully told. 
the, the, the English title is always a bit misleading because it barely touches upon the issue of both people. You, you, you'd think mm-hmm. a movie called Both People would be set in Hong Kong because that's where they sort of would reside, I believe, like in the harbor, uh, you know, on boats, living on boats and stuff. Uh, but um, regardless, uh, let, let, let's touch a little bit about on Andy Lau and th- then I have some notes on, on George Lamb. This is not Andy Lau's first role, but it is certainly an early one. I don't know how established he was as a singer yet, but it is his, uh, it might, it's his first year of movies anyway. So uh, any particular notes on this uh, supporting role? It's not huge, but it is a supporting role. So Yeah, and it's supporting mine. And, and, and again, like I say, um, I, I've seen a lot of Andy Lau movies. I know I'm a great fan. I haven't seen this movie. It was great for me to watch this. And, <clears throat> but when I found out it was one of his first movies as well, when I watched it, I was, I was suitably impressed. You can see all the start of that. Andy Lau as a character that he portrays in in most of his movies and and honed and you know and plays it really well in this movie. Considering it was one of his first first films that he did, but you can see that Andy Lau ism, shall we call it, mm-hmm. within this film, and that's what drove him to you know the the star that he is um, today. It, 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 it's there. You can see that star quality, and um, yeah, he portrays the character and the scenes that he has really well in your feel for the character as you're going through that journey so yeah he's one of the characters that want to flee uh, wants to yeah. flee and there's some um, there, there, there's some subplot uh, about him and Cora Meow's character that we won't uh, reveal as such Cora uh, uh, Meow was in the story of Vuviet as well so Anne Hoy is um, uh, recasting um, uh, to a degree here you know if we would have had Chai in fact I think that would have been great I mean George Lamb is good he has he's not used for emotional range because I think Anne Hoy realized that probably doesn't have you know these highs and lows in him and and that that would be true but he she goes for immersing him well and being a presence that we believe right so you don't get a lot of george lamb like emotional spikes but she doesn't use him that way she uses him as a character who wants to sort of feel neutral but then realizes that he wants to engage and help but that doesn't mean that we need to have huge melodrama here yeah, necessarily exactly. and i don't think that would have suited george necessarily no. um i'm sure another actor would have emoted somewhat more to sell the dedication to the cause if you will that he wants to help but i i think george is used very well and he's he has sincerity in him that where you believe this photographer would do uh, this for uh, for for this family who's struck by tragedy a couple of times in the movie uh, the season ma family and uh, it feels season ma sort of outshines most people in this movie you know she feels very real and alive yeah. and gives george the finger initially you know and all of that so she she has like spunk if you will <laughs> um and uh, that's but but still he's very immersive I, I i never stop to think of like look at him and his stupid mustache like I usually do. <laughs> Brilliant. I did. I did it, and no, therefore it's no. lamb, not lame. Yeah. No. no, there, there was none of that in this one. Yeah, he held it. But you know, I, I, I just get the feeling, feel that Lamb worked on this. He felt a sense of engagement. He felt a sense of importance, and also felt immersed, and uh, that, and he felt the belief from Anne Hoy that this is something that I want to do good in and I want to immerse myself in and I'm also surrounded by production qualities that are 
super impressive. You know what I mean? It's not yeah. this little sort of shaky cam documentary piece or anything, as you've alluded to. The production is kind of expertly mm. performed, despite being this rough and gritty movie. Artificial is not what I think of when I when I look at both people. So certainly not. It just feels, you know, ugly and uh, but but not ugly, depressing, where you just felt like you've been, you know bombarded with sledgehammers for 90 minutes it's it's sort of it is ugly it's tough but it's not uh out of control angry and depressing which is sort of the balance that feels right for this movie i mean we feel it we don't need to feel it for five scenes in a row uh, we if we get a scene that's devastating that that's all good for effect <laughs> you know because characters also need to move on like they're so hit over the head with different tragedy in their lives within their family and the friends being taken away to the new economic zones that characters just needs to move on quickly you know uh, just imagine what happens towards the end of the movie without, without spoiling it but you know the tragedy in the family there and season mass character doesn't have a 20 minute breakdown at that point she is on the move and she needs to be on the move and i think that's um the tragedy of it all that there's no room for Sorrow. Or rather, there's room for sorrow, but it doesn't feel like there's time for it. Like, yeah. There's a ticking clock kind of thing. Uh, people are going to take you away. and the new Everybody seems to know that, that the new economic zones is not uh, heavenly, uh, like uh, this reward or anything. It seems like after, maybe it felt like that in the beginning, and then stories started to come out of uh, what goes on in there. Uh, so yeah, I, I actually don't have any other notes other than I highly recommend it and all of that. But uh, I'll, I'll let you have the floor if you have anything else you want to say about George and what have you. Yeah, there's a couple of things. I, I particularly like a little scene when Caesar Ma goes to the hotel room with George Lamb. Uh, and there's a there's a shot that's actually a shot of them. It's only brief, but it, it works really well with the, the camera looking at the mirror and then the reflection back of them in the background, which I thought was really cleverly done. It kind of breaks up again. You you in that moment, it's just a different kind of way of filming it. Um, but it's just a brief moment, and you, they're, they're filming through the mirror, and the mirror's looking at them, and the way they that structured it, it was clever. It captured it captured me enough to put something down in my notes. Full enough, it was just it's one of those with all the carnage and the the lots of booms. I might know boom carnage explosions <laughs> in cray in crayon and shit like yeah. boom boom. <laughs> that mine goes click. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, but there was moments like that as well that captured you, which I, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, and their one on ones is uh, quite uh, quite good too. They they they, they strike up this uh, chemistry. I think is uh, that's very believable. George Lamb and uh, Season Ma. Very much so, and credit to to George Lamb as well and stuff. And just the uh, keynote on the um, is it K is it K Mong who plays the other guys like the French kind of. Yes, uh, it, it's a supporting character that that George befriends. That, that that's like a former officer. That he's sort of disillusioned, as the Wikipedia entry says, that he's now disillusioned about. Uh, you know, he gave his life to revolution, dis- and is disillusioned with life after the war. So he's he's kind of those officers that doesn't see the good in the liberation. Yeah, exactly. There, there's little bits in there that you're looking at it as a movie, and uh, there's there's moments in there as well, softer touches that are just hidden amongst all this, you know, carnage, and that that it's just really clever. Uh, and uh, as a film, I, I appreciated it immensely, and thank you for introducing me to both people. Um, so I really enjoyed this. So yeah, you should uh, you should go out and uh, enjoy this film too. And you can because it is available. Um, uh, Edco uh, have a version on DVD that looks fairly cleaned up. It is actually from a, from a 
print or a dupe so you can still see like uh, these uh, cigarette burns as they call for uh, you know for the real changes and all of that but it is still a nicely cleaned up version it looks suitable um, it, it is non-anamorphic but it still looks suitable and very good for the purposes and it can be picked up for a reasonable price as well so i i, I was definitely sure that this dvd would be out of print by now because i maybe picked it up eight years ago and you, you know hong kong movies don't stay in print forever even high profile no. movies mm. but the, the, this new wave of filmmaking I mean tallying it up we realized that well most of them seems to be on DVD but still uh, the availability of these important award winning movies throughout the years really I mean we, we you know never mind looking at the early 80s Hong Kong don't do good with their big guns you know there's a lot of important movies that just were lost on VHS and Laserdisc and never came back uh, there's a very famous filmmaker called Alan Fong who have multiple best films uh, awards on his resume and most of them are not available which is mm-hmm. just uh, just effing strange man and uh, but both people came out story of Vuviet came out on dvd but uh, it was subtitled on laserdisc and after a while someone struck a print with no subtitles and then when it come out came out on dvd no one bothered to actually write up english subtitles so it's one of those um, sort of flimsy flimsy things that we have um, in terms of important uh, genre uh, efforts on on um, from Hong Kong cinema, but uh, that, that that is what it is, I suppose. I mean, the the, the materials are out there, but um, to make it available for all is uh, sometimes not what they do in terms of subtitling and, and all of that. But both both people you can get, and uh, I recommend that you should. Cool, man. Well, we are done. So it's it's officially one all, you know, lame and lamb. So yeah, uh, one all. As a guy in Lamb and Lane. So we'll, we'll see how many movies we'll do. I mean, uh, it, we obviously need to do an uneven number, otherwise, <laughs> you know, it's four all. So what do we do? Well, <laughs> we'll redo it. It's a recount. We'll do two more. <laughs> recount. Five all. <laughs> Math was not my strong suit in school, so <laughs> I, I, I'd be the idiot that would end up in that situation. Like, <laughs> goddamn it, it needs to be uneven. Uh, so maybe we'll do seven, you know, across four shows or whatever. So uh, I don't know. But uh, I haven't uh, mapped out the series yet. Uh, I'm going to go by gut feeling based on what I remember. Well, I do know that I want to do A Bite of Love, which is the vampire movie. And George Lamb, with his mustache, plays the vampire. That is a stupid-ass image. And uh, <laughs> I can see where the, the hatred for the mustache comes from. I'm George Lamb and I got my mustache. But it, it's so crazy. A Bite of Love was both shot in the UK, partially shot in Sync Sound, and they mixed it in Dolby Surround. Like, DMB believed in the qualities oh. of that movie. It needs to be abroad. needs to be in Dolby. It needs to be Sync Sound. It needs to have George Lamb, damn it. Because we see him as a vampire. <laughs> Maybe not next episode, but we, we probably should double bill a bite of love and banana cop because they're both shot abroad in London, uh, in in England at the very least. I don't know if both were London, but um, so so. But banana cop is uh, George Lamb and Teddy Robin, and George Lamb sort of looks like Sherlock Holmes, which is annoying <laughs> beforehand, <laughs> like a judge. <laughs> oh, that's gonna be an interesting double bill. Annoying mustache, <laughs> annoying at Dracula, and annoying at Sherlock Holmes. But yeah, yeah. Then again, I don't remember if that was the intent to make him super awesome Sherlock Holmesy. I just remember that he looked like yeah, him, yeah. So. Okay. We'll, we'll 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 see what we do next time. But thank you very much, Phil, for uh, taking this uh, trip, and I'm quite delighted that uh, you dug both people as much as you did. I never doubted it, but I'm always glad to be uh, surprised when it hit when it hits more than um, than you might expect. 
Cool, cool. Well, we are done, and uh, we we did the short contact information before, and we're gonna do short contact information again. So, for all your podcast on fire network needs, uh, including where you can find us on social media, hit up podcastonfire.com, Follow the handy buttons at the top of the website. We have relevant links in the show post, including to my writing on Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies and everything in between to uh, do a little bit of excursions to Korea and even abroad sometimes over at my sites. Uh, but Phil, you're the co-host, a co-producer and uh, co... Uh, not co-guest. That means we're both guests. <laughs> <laughs> but you're co regardless of honor. So uh, so you you get a firm plug. So where can we find your website? Yeah, you can find us at uh, easternfilmfans.co.uk Also available on mobile. Hey. And uh, Twitter and Facebook, so uh, come and check us out and say hello. Yeah, indeed, and uh, we'll uh, link to your uh, interviews and whatnot. So uh, check uh, Phil's, uh, check out his work. He's a working man, but still have time to uh, to put some uh, grand old work into the website. Cool, my friend. Well, uh, lamalame session, if you will. What was it you call it? I, I, uh, the, the chops thing. <laughs> yeah, chops or flops. <laughs> it's actually quite good. That, that was better. You were sort of like trying to find the name initially chops of rune then like 10 different words after that chops or flops lamb chops or flops so yeah good good let's change it and annoy jay like it's not lamb or lame anymore ha <laughs> yeah i know yeah that word yeah jay we changed from lamb to lame to chops or flops no now we'll stick to lamb to lame i'm just i i can throw in chops and flops occasionally just you know for my own entertainment it's one all regardless so uh, well, one all. well done so- lamb so there we are. But there I've been Kenobi and with me was Phil G. So say goodbye, buddy. Bye-bye.